0: This fall, the State Comptroller's Office released a report examining the addiction services provided by New York from 2019 to 2022 and concluded that the State Office of Addiction Services and Supports needs to do a better job preparing its on the ground providers to prepare for emergencies like the pandemic and improve their oversight of the services for New Yorkers dealing with substance use disorder and gambling addiction. For more on the audit and to discuss emergency preparedness more broadly, we're joined on the Capitol Press Room by Tina Kim deputy comptroller for the office's division of state government accountability welcome back to the show tina
1: thank you very much dave and thanks for having me on the show
0: so what was the comptroller's office looking to find when it examined services provided from 2019 to 2022 by the state office of addiction services and supports uh, known by the shorthand uh, oasis
1: so over the last year, one of the controller's focus has really been looking at the lessons that we've learned from the pandemic, and because we want to make sure that the states prepared for the next emergency. So we wanted to look at what the agencies were doing before the pandemic, um, what they did during the pandemic, and what changes they have made now. And so this has been, you know, this is the third in a series of audits that we're doing in this area. You know, previously we looked at nursing homes under the Department of Health, group homes under OPWDD. and the latest audit is um, Oasis's oversight of addiction support programs. So when you look at programs like this, um, for a large part they're actually the services are actually provided by external providers. So when you're looking about how effective a program is, you're really looking for the agency's guidance. And then they're monitoring of the providers to so that they meet the intent of the guidance. So it's really not compliance for compliance sake. Um, It's really we want to make sure that these providers who are responsible for really vulnerable people are ready for the next emergency. And when we looked at that for OASIS and addiction support providers, um, one of the things that we noted is that improvements were needed. You know, the guidance really wasn't all that clear and the oversight needed improvement.
0: And what was the consequence of the oversight during this period or the lack of oversight? Is there reason to believe, for example, that people weren't able to access uh, the services that the providers contracted with uh, o- OASIS uh, are responsible for?
1: I think that really what we found is is that 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 they were being reactive rather than proactive so so that their plans weren't set up so that if they faced a particular situation, they would have to basically re- react to the situation rather than basically um, do something in advance of the situation. And that has always been our concern with a lot of emergency uh, preparedness, that you, that you want to basically um, help people out and basically be proactive about issues rather than responding to a situation when it occurs.
0: Did you get a sense that during the pandemic specifically, that Oasis was following a prepared rule book or that they were flying by the seat of their pants? Because there was a critique of the Cuomo administration more broadly, that when 2020 came around and COVID-19 hit New York, that uh, the pre-written plans were scrapped and uh, everything was kind of done at the whim of the, the governor and his top aides?
1: So I think that what we actually found is that the guidance needed improvement because it wasn't very clear and it wasn't very clear what the providers actually needed to basically prepare in their plan. So, so we looked at 30 plans And one of the things that we found is that there were inconsistencies. So only about half of them actually even included information about infection control, which, again, during the pandemic was a significant issue.
0: It seemed like a lot of the preparation that OASIS put in place for an emergency was based on past uh, emergencies like superstorm, Sandy and when it came to a, a pandemic you know this isn't something we've seen in a hundred years. so does it seem like the plan as you mentioned with infection control just didn't take into consideration this type of emergency?
1: So I think that that was one of our concerns because one of the things that the pandemic did is it resulted in prolonged disruptions in service. So, so one of the things that you wanted to make sure, like when you do a plan, is that you take in an account and that you are not reactive to the situation. So you're responding, which puts you behind. You, you want to make sure that you're ready for all different types of emergencies. And the problem with OASIS's guidance is that it was very generalized and it left a lot up to the provider's discretion. And I think you need clearer guidance than that. You need to provide them with a framework so that they know what to include in their plan so they're ready when the next emergency occurs.
0: Well, how do you go about tapering your expectations for the delivery of services during, say, a pandemic? Is your expectation that the services should continue uninterrupted, or is there a sense that some disruption is expected and inevitable?
1: So the expectation is that, of course, there's going to be some disruption, but that you should have a plan for that. So you should have a plan that helps ensure a continuity of services so that you know what you can actually do when an emergency occurs.
0: Part of the examination that the office did was looking at uh, the ability of the state to track patients uh, utilizing a system that was put in place after Superstorm Sandy. Can you talk uh, about the uh, effectiveness of that and whether there were any sort of gaps in in that tracking process?
1: So the eFind system is a barcode system um, that was instituted, again, after Hurricane Sandy. And it's to track patients during an emergency and to provide continuity of services Unfortunately, both the guidance and the oversight of the program um, didn't quite work out uh, the way that it was actually intended. Up to 12% of the providers weren't even able to use the system. And then providers who actually had access to the system, the majority of them weren't actually even set up to use the the system because you, you need two people. To run the system, you need a coordinator and you need somebody who's basically um, going to basically input data into the system. And for a lot of the agencies that we actually looked at, they didn't have either one or both of these individuals. And in many cases, it was basically because, you know, the person that they had assigned to basically do this had left during the pandemic. And we were of concern because after initially setting people up to do this, sending them an email after an agency was certified, Um, OASIS didn't follow up to make sure that the providers were actually um, prepared in case an emergency did occur.
0: Do you have a sense of what might have been the root of some of the shortcomings that you identified? Does it seem to be a culture issue where the values and what's stressed are different than what the controller's office is valuing in this case is, or does it come down to say a lack of uh, personnel and resources to actually ensure that uh, a barcode system is is in place or that you can issue the best guidance uh, possible?
1: I think in a lot of cases, especially now, I think a a commonality across many state agencies is the pandemic was difficult related to basically resources. Um, And for a lot of agencies, with like e fines, you know, part of the issue was that there was a large turnover with staff at the providers. And then at the agencies, there's been a resource issue in terms of monitoring and enforcement. And that creates a problem. So, so that's one of the reasons why we at the controller's office, we, we understand that. So, one of the things that we will always argue is that you do a risk based approach, you know, that you collect data, that you use your data effectively. And then you target and pinpoint those providers who are at greater risk, which is, you know, a, a third finding in the report related to waiting lists, which is basically waiting lists are very important. They are something that helps ensure that basically you have appropriate services for an area that was critically important during the pandemic. And what we actually found is that. You know, in some cases, the data was not complete and it was not accurate, and therefore it was not being used to make decisions. The pandemic was a perfect storm for people who have addiction issues, especially related to opioids. It's something that my colleague Maria Doulis covered in her 2022 report. You know, prior to the pandemic, the amount of overdoses related to basically um, opioids had actually decreased after a national emergency was declared but during the pandemic because addiction is a disease of isolation there was a sharp increase in in overdoses related to opioids and that trend you know continues to this day I think Oasis just released data um, in September of 2020 20- twenty three related to the number of overdose deaths in New York. And that number, you know, is significantly higher than prior to the pandemic. So this is really a critical area, and it's an area where you really need good data. So so that's been another area of concern of our agency and we focused a lot of work on
0: well finally, this review extended beyond just the worst period, uh, the most tumultuous period of the pandemic, and seemed to look at when things went back to normal, so to speak. So did you find any significant change in Oasis's oversight as things did get back to normal? Did you find that there was adequate oversight, adequate uh, delivery of services, so to speak?
1: So Dave, I think that what we found is they were responsive to the audit, So so I think that they considered what we actually found and they, according to their response, are are considering improvements. They've worked on their guidance and they're reconsidering in terms of how they do their monitoring. And that really is what we're actually looking for. And as you know, we'll be back uh, a year from now to make sure that those changes actually occurred because again, this is an area that's critically important to Controller DiNapoli on two fronts. One, the controller is a strong believer that we have to learn from past history. You know, the, there's that Churchill quote, you know, those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And the controller does not want that to happen. He wants to make sure that we're ready for the next emergency. And he's devoted a lot of the resources of our office Um, To to address issues related to addiction support. We've done a lot of work and my colleague Maria Doulis has done a lot of work in that area, because it's it's a tragedy for New York State. And it's something that basically we all as public servants actually have to work on um, making sure that basically we can mitigate um, some of the problems.
0: Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. We've been speaking with Tina Kim, the Deputy Comptroller for the Office's Division of State Government Accountability. Tina, thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having me
0: on the show, Dave. And for more Capitol Press Room content, visit CapitalPressroom.org or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And if you listen to us from an Apple device, make sure to leave us a rating and a review so it helps other people find the show.